Hello and welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, like our page on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at 814NEXT, lend your voice to the dialogue. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's topic is probably one of the most timely topics uh, available right now in public discourse, and that is the return of our children to school. Now, in the past, that brought its own sense of angst and anxiety in many ways to include things like supplies, school clothes, who's watching the children, things along those lines. Because of COVID-19, we've been presented with additional challenges, challenges that we've never seen, certainly not in my generation, uh, when it comes to returning our children to school. And there are so many different things to consider with COVID-19, with the COVID-19 pandemic. And there are a lot of arrangements being made that have not traditionally been made. There are a lot of questions on the minds of parents about community members as to what that looks like. And the rage, the debate has raged on at many water coolers across this city. And so we wanted to on Next on WQLN have some guests in, in studio that could help us unpack this and make sense of it all. And so today we have two segments. Uh, our guests today include Mr. Brian Polito, who is the superintendent of Erie's Public Schools. Brian, welcome to the show. And we also have uh, Mrs. Allison Reynolds, who is the CEO of Robert Benjamin Wiley Charter School, and Miss Amy Harris. Amy, welcome to the show. Allison, welcome to the show. Miss Harris, I didn't give your title. It was long. I didn't get a chance to plug it in there. If you want to just say what your title is again, please. Director of Community Relations and Building Operations. Excellent. Thank you so much. So this first segment, we want to concentrate on Mr. Polito. We know that he's got a lot of things going on uh, with the many schools in the district and just kind of talk about what this has looked like for uh, the administrative staff and the individual staff members of all of the schools within the school district. So, Brian, if you want to start out by just talking to us a little bit about the uh, the human aspect of this, when did it become apparent that you would have to take additional measures as a school district as this pandemic progressed uh, in society? Well, I think it was mid-March when, when things started to get uh, rather serious around here. Uh, I think, you know, when, when the pandemic first started, we were not sure that it was really going to have an impact on the district. There's been a few of those in the past that really amounted to nothing like the, the bird flu. Uh, but uh, as, as we were getting uh, close to, uh, it was probably about two weeks before the governor announced that we would have the stay at home order and schools would be closed, it, we started to realize that we needed to do something. So uh, during that uh, last week before schools were closed, we really did spend some time uh, preparing for the, the possibility that we may go remote. Uh, we didn't realize that uh, he was going to pull the plug on schools so quickly, but at least we were uh, prepared enough that we could uh, turn things around and at least get the kids doing some enrichment uh, work uh, rather quickly. Mm -hmm. So preparation for the actual educational part is one thing. There's also a human aspect of this, the personnel department and dealing with staffers, be that the administrative staff or the staffs of the many schools that you have in the district. How has that played out? with the teachers and the other staff members of these schools. Give us a sense of what those conversations sounded like. Well, I think, you know, over the last couple of years, this, this district has been through a lot. We had the financial crisis we went through uh, for the last decade. Uh, we had uh, most recently the, the reconfiguration that we pulled off over, over one summer. And so this uh, district is pretty used to uh, crisis management and crisis response. So as usual, our team really did step up. Every, everybody 
uh, did what they needed to do. And we were able to quickly, at least again, get the kids uh, learning again and, and moving forward. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk a bit about the provisions, I know that one thing people are concerned about are, you know, masks. So now as you go different places, you have to have masks to enter. Even when we entered this building today, we had masks on. Our temperature was taken coming into the door. What will that protocol look like for the Erie School District? So we, we are following all the CDC and uh, State Department of Health guidance. Um, everybody will be required to wear a mask uh, in the building, except for those that can't medically. Uh, we will be doing some uh, temperature checks and screenings as students come in. And, uh, you know, we'll follow all those protocols, including the uh, six foot of distance, social distancing for all of our classrooms. Mm -hmm. One of the questions is that I pulled a bunch of questions from uh, national questions that parents had on their minds. One of those questions was about uh, ventilation. And I know that that has been an issue at some of your schools. The question was, will outdoor air supply rates or ventilation be increased in school buildings, including classrooms? And how will the school verify that ventilation is adequate? That's a big concern for us. We uh, just recently uh, undertook a, uh, a three-year uh, $80 million project uh, with our district. And the, the goal here with, and this is for facilities, the goal was to keep our buildings warm, safe, and dry. And in that project, there was about $15 million that was allocated to um, heating and ventilation systems uh, because they just haven't been adequately maintained over the, the last 20 years. So we, we were starting that process. Uh, when the, the COVID-19 hit, we were very concerned about that. So in May, we started talking to our architects and engineers and actually contracted with them to do a ventilation study. Uh, that, that came back here about two weeks ago. And unfortunately, as, as we looked at it, there was, were several of our buildings that just didn't have that adequate outside airflow mm -hmm. coming into the buildings and the classrooms, which caused us to uh, reevaluate our, re our plans. So right now, um, except for our special needs and our uh, uh, career and tech students, we are going to be starting 100% remote uh, for the first two months through November 4th. And the goal is to go through at least our elementary buildings and get the ventilation up to where it needs to be uh, uh, with the hopes of bringing those students back uh, during the second quarter after November. Mm -hmm. So I drive past Erie High, well not Erie High, but Collegiate Academy almost every day. And you can see the construction work going on there. So aside from the things that you just mentioned, what are some other ways that your building projects have been altered because of COVID-19? Well, so far, luckily, they haven't been altered too much. The only thing that, that we're really looking at right now, again, is accelerating some of those uh, heating and ventilation uh, a project so that we can get students back into the buildings more quickly. And, you know, you know speaking of collegiate, uh, Again, pre-COVID, we weren't really looking at doing the ventilation work there um, until the phase two work is done. So all the construction that's going on up there right now isn't, uh, does not include ventilation. Again, we're gonna have to readjust our plans and, and probably accelerate that uh, because right now those, the, the ventilation in that building and Erie High uh, just isn't bringing any outside air into most of the classrooms. Mm -hmm. When it comes to your COVID-19 response team and your plan, is there a particular point person that's in charge of how that plays out internally? Uh, our executive director of operations, Neil Brockman, is uh, our pandemic coordinator. 
uh, he's in charge of all our facilities and transportation. So uh, he was the logical choice to put in charge of this. So he's really taking the lead on, on all of that work here in the district. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And you say you're using CDC guidelines for things like contact yes. tracing, testing, quarantine, isolation, things along those lines. Talk to, us yes. about, talk to us about the quarantine isolation part, because I read an article about a college who had a, a large outbreak of students. And there's a certain sector of the, the campus that they wanted to designate for quarantine and isolation cases. And I hadn't thought about it a great deal until I read that article. What does that look like if you do have a cluster of students or staff members when you do start to have people back into the building? What's the contingency plan for something like that? So first of all, in each of our buildings, we do have a, a school nurse and we are uh, contracting with another agency to provide them additional support next year, just to ensure that they can address the, the everyday type of uh, medical issues, as well as anything that comes up pertaining to COVID. Uh, we've also designated a quarantine room in every one of our buildings so that if somebody does have symptoms that we can uh, quickly move that individual to that room until we can make uh, alternative plans. Uh, for contact tracing and quarantining, uh, we're not experts in that area. Mm -hmm. We've been advised by the Department of Health that they are going to take the lead on that type of work. Uh, so if you have a, a potential case, our job is to really work directly with uh, the Department of Health to identify what other students or staffs that individual may have been in contact with so that they can go ahead and do their contact tracing and provide us recommendations as, as far as uh, whether or not we need to quarantine an entire uh, classroom, a whole school, how long we maybe need to shut the building down in order to do some deep cleaning. Those, those type of things will really be addressed by the department. Mm -hmm. Shared spaces and surfaces. Uh, one school mentioned that they would actually have students sitting in the same exact place for lunch every day, just so that they can have some sort of handle on who's sitting where, who is contagious, things along those lines. What does your shared spacing plan look like for students this coming school year, if and when they return to the classroom? Right now, we're really not looking at using those shared spaces for uh, things like uh, lunch. So we're going to have the students actually pick up their lunch in the cafeteria and go back to their classroom. Mm -hmm. We're also going to limit the, how often students change classes, again, to reduce the number of exposures they have throughout the building during the day. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a couple, a couple different departments, one with special needs, uh, several that will start in person as the school year begins. What does that conversation look like for the parents? Is there anything that they're signing off on? How does that play out? So what, you know, again, with our special needs students and our career and tech students, uh, both of those programs are very hard to um, run remotely. Our special needs students, a lot of them have things like physical therapy and speech therapy that we just can't do virtually. Mm -hmm. uh, so we felt it was important to at least give those students the opportunity to come in and continue their instruction in person. Uh, right now, our special ed department is calling each and every one of those families and talking through it and, and working with them to make a decision whether or not uh, they want to return to class or they want to continue to do things remotely. Mm -hmm. Are you allowed to say in general what that response has been like from the parents so far? Uh, right now, it's, it looks like about 20 percent of the, the families are opting to keep their students at home. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's pivot 
slightly because the thing that's made this time in history so unique is not just that we have this pandemic that is a global issue, but we also have this global protest over racial injustice. I bring this up because this is actually a conversation that you started to address early on and you've addressed it in your strategic plan and it's something that has come up time and time again, even when your predecessor, Mr. Battams, was in office or he was in this position. So this overlaps. What does that conversation look like amongst your students and your faculty as well? Because this is something that you're still concerned about. I know you talked about the amount of uh, disciplinary issues for African-American students. You want to look into more African-American or minority um, educators. What, what's going on with those efforts amidst the COVID-19 pandemic? So, yeah, we did uh, address all of those issues and started down that path uh, a couple years ago with our strategic plan. Uh, you know, one thing that, you know, I feel pretty strongly about, uh, given everything that's happened over the last couple months, is that, that we, we need to, as a district, accelerate the, that work um, and make sure that, you know, we're addressing some of our biases here in the district and, and making sure that our, our staff uh, understand that there are some issues like that, some institutional racism built into our system so that we can start to address that as a district. Uh, so what, what we've committed to is, again, accelerating that. Our, other than getting school up and running this year, our main focus will be on anti-racism training for all our staff members here in the district. Our administrators just went through four days of training uh, to uh, prepare them to be facilitators within their buildings. Uh, they're going to be working with um, some of our other facilitators here in the district from our uh, goal four equity team to uh, do that training uh, throughout the next school year with all our staff members. Mm -hmm. Can you talk? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Take Taking a, a look at is our police department. I know there's been calls uh, across the, the nation to defund police, especially in schools. Uh, that's something that we had been talking about previously, uh, what, what that may look like moving forward. Uh, we're going to accelerate that work as well and really uh, bring in some community members. Uh, and this will be after the start of the school year mm -hmm. to talk about uh, our police officers role in the district and, and how that might change moving forward. The training, the four-day training that your faculty took to be facilitators within their own building. Uh, can you talk about the people that were brought, on, were, were brought in to conduct that training and, and how you came to the decision to hire that group? So we, we're doing that all ourselves at this point. It's okay. a training module that was developed by the National Education Association. Um, some of our uh, union leadership went through that training a few years ago, and it was very powerful powerful for them. Uh, so they, they recommended that. Uh, Ken Nixon is our uh, equity and diversity officer, and he has a group of uh, staff members and community members that are working on this type of project. So they actually reviewed that uh, module and um, recommended that we move ahead as a district. So they're uh, his team are trained as facilitators, and now our administrators are. And again, we're, we're we're looking to do this in-house and, and have those conversations so it's more geared towards Erie School District's needs. Mm -hmm. That was actually my next question because I thought about uh, Mr. Nixon's position within the district. And so it sounds like you wanted to make sure that this aligned with everything that you outlined in your strategic plan in terms of goals. Yes, yeah, and that's that was one of the goals in the district. 
uh, strategic plan is to ensure that all our staff member have that anti-racism training, anti-bias training. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, so if we can pivot back to the educational aspect of this. A concern for many has been electronic or digital learning doesn't necessarily uh, jive, if you will, for a lot of kids. It does. It's not compatible with some personalities. I know that you even had an issue where they, the Chromebooks that were delivered, a lot of the students hadn't even begun the process of using them. Is there a concern about the, the educational gap between the time when the live education stopped and electronic education picked up. Have students shown signs of struggle during that, or how has that looked? Well, first of all, I know that there's a, a lot of statistics about those Chromebooks floating around that, that maybe 40% of them weren't used. I'm not sure where, where that information came from, but from what we're seeing, that's not accurate. Uh, we, looking at the, the number of students that were active users uh, through the last, uh, some, last quarter, we were running at 80 to 90% of our students logging on and participating to some extent. Uh, so that, that was more than what we had, we had hoped for originally. However, uh, you know, what we did see is that the, the model that we were using um, in the spring just wasn't very effective. So the, stu the students would be, receive packets or assignments from the teachers. They'd work on those independently with their uh, with their parents, and then they'd submit it to, to be graded or evaluated. Uh, we don't want to continue to do it that way, so we're, we're shifting to, to more of an interactive model uh, where the students will be <coughs> uh, receiving direct instruction from their teachers. So uh, they're going to be on a scheduled day. Uh, they're going to be expected to be there at certain times for each of their classes. The teacher will deliver a lesson uh, and then uh, virtually we'll have the, the students break up into smaller groups and work on enforcing those skills. Mm -hmm. So again, we're trying to recreate the classroom as much as possible uh, for this upcoming year so, so that we uh, keep the kids engaged and keep them moving forward. Another thing, again, and you touched on this, Marcus, we're really concerned about uh, what, what's happened over the last couple months and, and how far kids may have fallen behind. So our instructional team, they're not talking about remediation right now. We're talking about accelerating learning. So uh, they're, they're working on a plan to assess the students as soon as they come in and develop those individualized plans to move them forward and accelerate them, get them caught up hopefully by the end of this school year. Mm. And let me say this, and this also goes for uh, the executives over here for the R. Benjamin Wiley Charter School. Uh, for those that are watching and listening, this is a very tricky situation. I appreciate you answering the questions. I appreciate all three of you coming in to participate. As you watch this play out nationally, there is no one size fits all for this. And so as you try different things, if the results aren't what, what you necessarily wanted, you know, people can't really cast aspersions because we haven't seen this before. And school districts, you have all of these different opinions from the faculty, from the parents, even from governments and municipalities as to what we should and shouldn't do. So let me just say that we appreciate all of the efforts and just your flexibility for everyone to just be able to pivot and see what works for our children. So with that being said, I look at what happens for a lot of these students at home. And for many of them, they come home or they come to school and school has been a safe haven for them. Be that um, having a nutritious meal every day, going somewhere where people actually believe in them and reinforce them in all the best of ways. And that is something that a lot of people are concerned about as well. That's missing. 
when you have virtual learning. I know that's something that's beyond your control at the same time. These young people are, are young people that you are invested in personally many times. Is, are there any plans to try to have some sort of check-in so that you can kind of look into the, the, the holistic person of each of these children? Yeah, we, you know, student engagement is going to be very important next year. Uh, we, in the spring, utilized our blue coats to go out and to uh, go door to door to the families that are the students that weren't uh, logging on to the system. We uh, are planning to enhance and continue that uh, so that we can, again, reach out to all those families and, and find out, you know, what the barriers they're, they're seeing that you know, why they can't log on or, or can't participate and trying to find ways to remove those so that all the students can move forward. Mm -hmm. Excellent. When you think about virtual learning uh, and some of the features on Zoom, for example, you mentioned breakout rooms. I think that's a wonderful feature. I love the fact that you can share your screen and you can share videos and things along these lines. If you can give people a sense of what things at your disposal you will utilize to just try to enhance the learning experience in this virtual platform? So, you know, we're, uh, we purchased a new platform. We, we had Google Classroom in the spring. We're shifting to a platform called Schoology, which is much more comprehensive and, and easier to work with for both the student and teacher. Uh, as part of that too, we're, um, we're shifting from Zoom to Teams, Microsoft Teams to to do the uh, the virtual piece of this uh, as far as far as the video in the classroom. Uh, you know, we're trying to create an environment where again teachers and students can collaborate and work together rather than work independently and submit work that way. Mm -hmm. The the first platform, Schoology, I think you said it was. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell us why that was more appealing. Give us some of the key features that, that will make that a more effective t tool to utilize in the area public schools. Well, that, um, again, is much more comprehensive as far as the, 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 the features. It's, you know, it's easier to upload documents and track documents. Uh, the, the program also speaks with our child accounting system, so it'll help us uh, you know, further ensure that you know, attendance is being taken appropriately. Um, and again, it, it works with a, a number of different platforms, including that, that Microsoft Teams. So their students are not going to have to be able to have to switch between one platform to another during the day. They'll be able to access all of it through that uh, through Schoology. Mm -hmm. A favorite shared space in many schools has, is often the library, you know, where you can just access all of this additional learning. What does that look like? on a virtual platform, what type of literature will the students have access to on this platform? You know, that's a good question, Marcus, and I don't have the answer to that one. I, um, I'll have to check with our educational team on that to see what they're, they're planning. But I, I do know that all our, our, all our library catalogs are online, so I'm, I'm certain they're working on something to ensure that those students uh, get access to those resources. Mm -hmm. And lastly, on this section, I know I touched on videos a second ago, but will video be used extensively for some of your educational um, modules? Yes, I, you know, again, we're, we're trying to make this much more interactive this year than it was last year. So we, we want these uh, students collaborating and speaking with their teachers and working, you know, in small groups with, with other teachers and with students. Again, we think that's gonna be the most successful uh, module for, for our district here. When it comes to the Chromebooks, you cleared up something and uh, a misconception. 
And that's been floating around quite a bit. Are there other things that you want to clear up or to clarify for the listeners and the viewers while we have you here? Because there's been several articles, but at the same time, you recognize when you talk to the person who's charged with making all of this happen, it sounds a little different. What things do you want parents to keep in mind for the school year? Well, one thing that, you know, I think, and I want to thank parents for doing this already is just being flexible. Uh, things are changing very rapidly. Uh, oftentimes we, we come in in the morning with one plan and, and circumstances change and we're, we're shifting to another direction. Uh, I think that's going to continue. The guidance from, from the state and the county continues to change uh, and, and be modified. So as that happens, we're going to have to change our plans as well. Uh, another thing I just want to ensure assure all our families, we, we worked very hard. We felt it was very important to, uh, to try to have, give every kid the opportunity to come to school every day. Uh, we worked very hard to try to make that happen. We had a, a very good plan in place uh, to do that. However, uh, when we received that ventilation report, we just didn't feel that we could safely bring the students in uh, and had to modify our plan. So we're, we're going to work very hard to address, to address as much of that ventilation as we can here over the next two months. And we're hoping if conditions are, are still such that uh, it's safe to bring students back into the classroom, that we're going to be able to do that starting in November. On the communication side, how are you keeping a strong line of communication with parents and guardians? Are, is there an a hotline? How do, how do people access maybe you directly or members of your team if they have questions and concerns throughout all of this? So we've been keeping our, um, our parents and students updated on social media uh, with our Facebook page. We also have our one call system, which uh, uh, calls families with important updates. And on our website, we do have a re reopening platform uh, set up. So there, there's actually a website parents can go to to get the latest information on where we are with our reopening plans. Uh, there's a pretty extensive FAQ there for any questions that, that we have already answered. And then we do have a dedicated email address that the parents can use to ask additional questions. And that's being monitored on a, a regular basis. Mm. And before we close your segment out, I know that you've spoken about this in several different articles. Can you talk a little bit about the history or, or the plan for sports going forward? Really big part of student life in not just the Erie School District, but around the country. How will that be handled? Uh, we, we have a health and safety plan for athletics as well. Um, right now, the season has been postponed for two weeks by the PIAA. I, I think that was a wise move. Uh, our, our students are, at least for the small, fall sports, are continuing to do skills and drills. We're keeping them outside, uh, keeping them social distance and safe. Um, however, I personally, I don't feel that we're, go we're going to be able to do contact sports this fall, and I, I don't think we can do it safely. I'm hoping PIAA does consider that and make that decision here. Uh, shortly, just like some of the, the colleges have. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't, uh, us, uh, our school board is really going to have to take a close look at that and make a decision whether or not we, we as a district feel we can safely uh, continue to do competitions. Are there any special efforts being put forth to just kind of deal with the morale of many of your athletes? And I ask that because athletics is a conduit <clears throat> to opportunity for a lot of students. It's an escape from negative choices 
for a lot of students. Uh, there's a, a ton of students in and out of the Erie School District that had they have not chosen sports would have probably chosen some very negative things with negative consequences. Are there any things in place to kind of deal with the morale of those kids right now? Well, again, that's why we, we wanted to continue the practices, because even if we can't compete, those students can continue to get together. They can interact uh, with their peers and the coaches and continue to improve on their skills. Excellent. Brian, anything you want to add before we let you go? I can't think of anything. Thank you for having me today. All right. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. We certainly appreciate it. Brian Polito, Superintendent, Erie Public Schools. This is Marcus Atkinson. You have been listening to and watching Next on WQLN. Uh, we're live in studio. We just had Mr. Brian Polito, superintendent of Erie Public Schools, talking about the reentry of our students to their educational experience for the 2020 and 21 school year. And now live in studio, uh, we have Miss Allison Reynolds, who is the CEO of Robert Benjamin Wiley Charter School, and Miss uh, Amy Harris who is, and I'm messing up your title again. <laughs> the terrible with titles, it was not right in front of me. But I know that she's charged with community relations mm -hmm. and building maintenance. There you go, operations. Operations, excellent. So thank you all for coming in today. And you, you heard a little bit of the interview with the superintendents of schools. I wanna start with your, your model is much more intimate. Obviously you don't have as many students to be concerned about as the Erie Public School System. And uh, you have two schools under your purview, correct? Sure. Yep. So there's a much more intimate connection, I would say, correct. for your school. Talk to us about when you all discovered that this thing could potentially become something that we'd have to sit down as a team and plan for and deal with in an unconventional manner. Sure. So just as Brian said, two weeks before um, the governor actually pulled the plug in the middle of March, um, we began making a pandemic plan of some kind, um, planning more so for a two or three week shutdown possibly, um, and had it board approved at our March board meeting, which happened to be on March 11th. Um, and so we had only planned really for two to three weeks um, and we got our teachers on board. And on that Friday, we had a staff development. And during that staff development, not only did we prepare for the PSSA, which didn't end up happening, but we also got our teachers um, to get all of their, their materials prepared um, and ready for students. So blessed we were that we were ready come the following Monday. Um, the only, the only thing that we weren't able to do was we didn't have students on that Friday, so we couldn't send the materials home that day, but we were able to mail them out that Monday. And so we were, we were prepared, prepared for two to three weeks, not prepared for the rest of the, you know, the remainder of the school year, but, but we were starting to make preparations prior to um, the middle of March, just because we kind of saw it coming um, and, and knew that we needed to make a plan. At some point, did you notice an increase in correspondence from parents and families as we began to get more and more information about the future of education at our Benjamin Wiley? Honestly, we only had a couple parents, but those parents were very concerned. So it was it was a limited number of parents, but the limited number of parents were the, the parents that were very concerned. Um, we just kind of watched it more from, you know, staying staying up on the research and, and, and keeping up with the news and just kind of watching from the background and making sure that, that we were ready. Mm -hmm. So Ms. Harris, communications, building operations, two things <laughs> that are struck squarely by COVID-19. So when all of this started to happen and you're working with, with Allison on all of this, what did that feel like for you? Because you had to have been thinking 
just a ton of things. How do we communicate this? Uh, what information is coming down the pike? What changes do we have to make to the building? What did this look like for you? Um, it, it was a little bit stressful, but we we already have great communication established with the with our parents, so we're already close. And so while Allison was like, you know, there's a there were a few parents who were very concerned, but there were many parents who were. We use um, Class Dojo, and so a lot of the parents communicated daily with teachers on that during the school year. So we communicated most of our information through that. We have we post on the website. Um, we had a calling system at that time. We've since changed to Ruvna, and that is a wonderful thing because you can also send out a mass text. Um, and so we had a ton of communication back and forth, um, and a lot of our parents have a lot of communication daily with admin. Everybody, you know, all the parents have their favorite admin person they like to contact. Um, and with the teachers, so calling directly, emailing directly, asking the questions, and then that would lead us to what we needed to post, you know, for everyone to know. So it it wasn't a huge drop in communication till the after the end of the school year in June, but through throughout that time, parents were communicating back and forth. They were completing the work, dropping it off. We had a drop-off center at the back of the building um, for us to review the work that the students were completing because we. Um, got together and made packets a second time after we realized it was longer than three weeks that we were going to be closed. So, From a CEO's perspective, walk us through that. So you're watching this develop and you have to get your team together to say, team, what do we do about this? Who are those team members? How did that conversation play out? What were their concerns? Because this has to be a tough, tough situation to navigate. You hear these horror stories about superintendents and CEOs resigning throughout the country because it's just a bit much, it's unprecedented. What did that feel like and how did it play out? Yes, so the Super 7 um, pretty much took this over uh, starting in March, so it was myself and Ms. Harris, um, and then our Director of Student Support Services, our Special Ed Director, um, our Director of State and Federal Programs, and our Instructional Coaches. And so we all kind of just banded together and we you know, delegated roles and, and just kind of, spread out and, and figured out what we needed to do. Um, we did have a couple teachers that were willing to come in uh, and they assisted us as well and, and we were really, really thankful for that. Um, you know, we had one come in from the primary grades, one come in from the intermediate grades and then the middle school grades um, and that was extremely helpful as well. Um, in, in March and in April, things were changing hourly. Um, we're not even talking daily. We were getting, you know, we were getting one regulation here and then the next day it was like well hold on maybe that's not what we want to do um, i can recall on a sunday getting an email at 156 and then it was redacted at 158. so um, march and april were very challenging when it came to making a plan or really even knowing what was coming next um, just because you would make a plan and then within hours you were re remaking that plan or rethinking what you were doing. So um, March and April were really challenging and then in May is when we really started buckling down and, and getting, getting ready for this school year. Um, and that's what we've spent this whole summer doing. So I didn't ask Mr. Polito this because we've had a chance to really evaluate this from a leadership perspective extensively, starting with Dr. Battles beforehand because the district had on, undergone so many different challenges leading up to this. Um, from a leadership standpoint, take the team out of it, because this is something that, you know, coming from someone who has led 
people, an organization, a mission, dealing with something like this that you don't study for. This isn't something that comes with a degree. This isn't something that's on your resume. From a leadership perspective, how did that feel? How did that play out? What were some of the struggles and kind of the the moments that you had to wrestle with through this? Because I know this has been difficult. Sure. So it has definitely been difficult. um, But I've always kept the mindset that your staff and the people that you lead will take on the energy, will take on, you know, the the way that you present yourself, the energy you present. Yes, um, they will take that on. And so even though I did struggle internally a little bit Mm -hmm. um, throughout this, you know, everything changing, constantly changing, um, having to change it up. I always wanted to maintain at least a positive outlook when, when addressing my staff, when, when leading my staff, because they really do with, it's, it's kind of like attitude reflects leadership, Captain, you know, from Remember the Titans. Um, and so I always keep that in, in, my, in the back of my mind that they will take on the energy that you take on. Um, and so just trying to, you know, refocus myself every day and, and bring that to the table when we come to the table. Um, I have high expectations for my staff. You know, we when we come to the table, we work hard. Um, I always tell them, if you come and we talk about what we're supposed to be talking about, we can get this done in, in an appropriate amount of time. And so I think um, Amy can agree. Like we we really started to just hone in on on what we needed to do. Um, and so there were many nights where I would pop up in the middle of the night and write things down. And by the next morning, I was erasing half of them um, and rewriting other ones. So it was really just a lot of planning and a, and a lot of reworking and reworking and reworking. Mm-hmm. So, um, but just keeping that positive energy is is extremely important as a leader. Right. And again, we we looked at this with, with uh, Mr. Polito and Dr. Adams because you have on the one hand you have the board. On the other hand, you have parents and then you have students, you know, staff and everybody in the public's opinion. That is correct. (laughs) And so when this happens, I looked at those two and I was intimately involved from various perspectives and got a chance to see it from the inside, kind of peeking Mm -hmm. behind the veil. And with all of these responsibilities, you're putting all of these in compartments. You've got to deal with your board on this, Mm -hmm. got to deal with your parents. And so that took kind of a shift in mindset. So talk to us just briefly about that board communication, parent communication, any concerns or new learnings with that? So I um, like I'm very well connected, especially with our board president. I talk to uh, Mr. Blunt almost on a daily basis, definitely a weekly basis. Um, And he stops in, you know, he'll pop in um, usually on a weekly basis, sometimes a biweekly basis. So I'm I'm very well connected to the board. our parents, like Amy said, we, we communicate with them very well. Um, so we're very yes, we're very honest with them. Um, I'm, I, I choose to be a very transparent leader. Um, I if I will give you if I have the information, I will give you the information because I think that you're entitled to it. Um, I don't necessarily sugarcoat things. I, I certainly am not a Debbie Downer, but I don't sugarcoat things. I, you know, I give it to them as it is. Um, but I always, if, if there's a problem, we always try to present it with a solution um, or at least some way to, to move towards a solution. So we really haven't had a whole lot of you know, issues when it comes to communicating or interacting with our board or with our parents or with our staff. Um, our staff, uh, just they, they are really anxious to get back into the classroom um, get their eyes on students. Um, that's a that's a really big thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't seen a child in our building in a very long time. And so that like that's a that's the biggest deal for us at this point is is just to get them in and and get them safe, keep them safe, keep them healthy, but 
get them moving educationally as well. What model, before we pivot to Ms. Harris, what model are you embracing this year? So the district will start their first few months all virtual. What does it look like for your student body? So um, we are running a blended model where uh, parents had the option to choose whether their students were going to learn virtually online or whether they were going to come to school in person. Um, being a choice-based school, being a charter school, we thought it was really important for students and parents and families to have that choice because um, we know that parents work. My husband and I both work, um, and I honestly don't know what I would do if my students couldn't, my children couldn't go back to school. Um, so we wanted parents to have the choice. Um, I think that that's important, and, and to be honest, we had oh, close to 200 students choose to learn virtually, so they kind of gave us a hybrid model without even choosing one. Um, but that choice of going online or coming in person was really important to us. And so we made a lot of changes to the school physically um, and made sure that there was all of the health and safety measures in place in order to make that happen. And so this is where Ms. Harris comes in, all of these changes that we're making to the school physically. Walk us through that because that's under your purview. Yes, so uh, the director of special ed and I spent many weeks going room by room by room. So there, in order to have the six feet distancing, the social distancing that we needed to, we had to clear out basically all the rooms. So just imagine living in a space for however long and you accumulated all these things. That's much like what the teachers have done. They've brought in their own personal things and it's lovely, but they all had to go. So we had to clear out room by room by room, both buildings, um, in order to, to make the space um, and then set them up, reworked it, reworked it, reworked it to figure out how can we have the dis distancing um, in order to keep the students safe. Um, sneeze guards, researched, had some custom made um, in order to make it work for our students. So although at this point we've reached nearly 200 online, in the beginning, we had to plan for all of our students to return um, because they do have the choice to come back beginning second quarter, even though they made the choice for online to start the year. So we had to plan for all of our students. Um, so building-wise, that, that was the biggest part of what we had to do to get ready, was to make space, um, eliminate all the community things, such as games, play place, you know, kindergarten. The kitchen had to go, <laughs> unfortunately. And then we did have a recess bin drive so that students could each have their own shoebox bin with some toys in it um, so that they could play recess at their desks um, if, it was, if the weather was inclement and they couldn't go outside. Two different locations you're doing this at. Mm -hmm. So that obviously makes this a much more daunting task. Mm -hmm. To the best of your ability, to however you can speak on it. Can you talk about how this has impacted your budgets at all? It has to be a whole lot of things that you haven't planned for from a budget standpoint. What has that looked like? So it has absolutely impacted our budget greatly. Um, we are fortunate that our board is very fiscally responsible and that we have um, a pretty healthy reserve. Um, so we were, you know, we were able to allocate, you know, the funds that we needed in order to do this. Um, 
We've also had a lot of community, you know, community support um, and family support. So our one instructional coach that's now our vice principal, her husband manufactured at his um, engineering business, he manufactured all of our sneeze guards for our third through fifth grade desks. So all of our desks and all of our tables have a sneeze guard on them. So every student is protected by a sneeze guard. Um, and then my husband built the wood blocks that we then bought every piece of acrylic sheeting in Erie, so I apologize. Um, if you were looking for a 24 by 18 inch piece of acrylic sheeting, you will not find it in Erie or Ashtabula because it's in RB Wiley. Um, but we had a lot of support that way, um, and so we were able to kind of cut costs. Those sneeze guards for third through fifth grade would have probably cost us close to 50 to $70,000. Um, and because Mrs. Kerner's husband's company was able to manufacture them, we were able to just pay for the supplies. Um, which kept that cost near $6,000, which obviously is, is a significant savings. Um, so in our creativity and our ability to, um, you know, look at things from a different perspective, we have a very creative staff, especially administratively. We were able to save money while still, you know, making everything as safe as possible. Um, we used the majority of our ESSER funds, CARES Act, COVID money, whatever you want to call it. We use that on our technology for our students. Um, and then our, we, we definitely took a, a strong look at our PCCD grant um, that was to be used primarily for PPE equipment. Um, and again, we, we were very um, fiscally responsible in how we spent that. So while we did have a, a, a drastic impact on our budget, we also were very responsible in the way that we, we budgeted things. So since you will have students actually in the building, let's address busing. Give us the protocol for busing uh, in this COVID-19 environment. Ms. Harris? So students who are in the same family are allowed to sit together on the bus and then we space, then you have to space out the other students. And um, we have only an average of about 38 on a bus based on now the 200 who have gone online. Um, we are having monitors, including myself, in the mornings <laughs> to greet the students. Um, we purchased masks um, for the entire student body, both bus masks and in-school masks. So um, us as morning monitors will step off, hand out the masks that are in baggies. The students can put them on, then get on the bus. We've always had assigned seating on our buses, so that's the contact tracing thing was not really something new or an issue for us because we did it for behavior reasons before. Um, so the students are used to sitting in an assigned seat. Um, the protocol is to load back to front so students have to walk by other students and then exit front to back. Um, and I think, I mean, that's about it. Getting on and off the bus from, from the school and to the school, spacing, um, teaching them, you know, stand, you know, wait, go, wait, go, wait, go. And our students are really responsive, responsive to us in that respect because um, we have a lot of procedures anyway for, for loading and unloading and dismissal, especially. We had an extensive dismissal procedure prior to that because we have students going to daycare, to the Boys and Girls Club, as car riders and walkers, and then as busers. So we already had different door exit strategies anyway. Um, and so we just had to add one more um, facet to that, um, which changes us from loading three buses at a time to two out two doors instead of three out one. 
So we, we have it pretty strategized at this point. You actually brought something up that I hadn't thought about asking Mr. Polito when I had him on. You said that there's, well, I didn't need to because they're all virtual for right now. You mentioned masks specifically for the buses. So there's a different set of masks that they hand it when they get to the classrooms. Walk us through that, because with the busing, a lot of excellent precautions, things I hadn't thought about. What does it look like then when they hand over the mask, they get another mask to enter the school? Walk us through that. You want to do that part? I can. Yes. <laughs> so they will have a bus mask. All the bus masks are the same color, so that because we are laundering all of our masks. So yes. our yes, our masks are not leaving our school. Um, for the students in kindergarten through fifth grade, again, we had a lot of community support. We purchased the jersey knit fabric, and then community members made them. Mm -hmm. um, so we had oh, we had two masks for every student. So 375 times two is. 700, I'm a good calculator, math is hard. Um, so we had that, we had that many people make, making those masks. So when the students come in, they get their temperature checked when they get to their classroom. Um, and once they're cleared to go into their classroom, they will remove their bus mask and it goes into a certain hamper and then they'll put on their mask for the day. So um, students will be identified in their classroom, like what classroom they're in based on the um, pattern that their, that their mask is. So we'll also know when laundering, we purchased um, washers and dryers that have a special sanitation feature. Um, so it's similar to like what they use in a hotel or in a hospital that allow, that allow you to sanitize the mask. Um, and so again, when they're leaving for the day, they'll take off their, their classroom mask and then they'll put their new bus mask on. So we have, bus, we have three bus masks per student, one for the morning, one for the afternoon, and one for the next morning. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have two masks per student in the classroom because students sneeze, spill, lick, do all the things that they'll do with a mask Especially because we know what children will do. Right. Um, that's kind of the, the, the funny part about all of this is that um, with these plans, a lot of times, especially, you know, the government and, and all the people making the rules assume that five through 14 year olds, that's the population that we serve, they're going to just come in and sit down and not move. Right. Um, and so that's gonna be the interesting part for us to see kind of how kids react mm -hmm. to um, all these new processes and procedures. I don't know if you've ever seen a five-year-old. I have a five-year-old. I know that I think you have a son going to kindergarten. I've got a, I've got a I don't know if you've ever seen them in a mask, but it's 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 an interesting process. It so is. Um, this is definitely going to be an interesting start to the school year. Mm -hmm. We're ready. You know, we're ready. We're ready with our plan. We're ready with with everything we have planned. But um, I'm doing this with, with children is going to be interesting because adults are really struggling. Let me stay with protocol for a minute. So someone comes in, you take their temperature and the temperature is unacceptable. It's higher than it should be. Yep. What happens then? We have a quarantine room in both buildings. Um, in our K-5 building, it's close to the front of the building, um, and it has a separate bathroom. And then in our PC campus, which is our preparatory campus, um, it's on the side of the building, but also has its own separate bathroom, and then is near an exit towards the back of the building where we'd have the parent pick up. So in that room, um, whoever the person is that goes in there, whether it's our school nurse or part of our pandemic team, um, we would gown up, we would have a mask on and a shield, um, and we would stay with that student until their parent was able to come pick them up. Um, we make it as comfortable as we possibly can. You know, we don't want a child just sitting in a cold room, um, but that's, that's the procedure. They go into the quarantine room and, until they're able to be picked up. Mm -hmm. Ms. Harris, sanitizing things between touch points for students, be that the bus, 
the lunchroom, any, what does that look like? So sanitation can happen um, during school hours. So we'll be sanitizing when the students go to lunch. Um, and, the, and in the preparatory campus where students change classes, sanitation happens between each class change. Um, and then, what's the other one? Disinfecting. Yeah, the disinfecting is what cannot happen with students in the room. Um, and the, so that's a schedule that maintenance has um, before school starts. Um, they sanitize the, pub, the restrooms that the students use. Um, the disinfectant happens, too, during lunch times. So, so there's going to be a closure of the restrooms for a half an hour for disinfecting midway through the day and then at the end of the day as well. So the differentiation between sanitizing and disinfecting happens. We have um, purchased sanitizing buckets and with the rolls and so the teachers it's safe for the teachers to use wiping the desks wiping the sneeze guards in the cafeteria those same things in between when students um, rotate so it's it's an ongoing process morning till after students leave and then when we've had to regulate even the maintenance schedule for after school because we have it has to be disinfected completely after all staff is gone, which means I must leave before 8 o'clock <laughs> in order for them to get it done. Um, but we also purchased the wands. Mm -hmm. um, you, they're UV light wands. Um, so UV light has proven to be a very effective way to disinfect without having to use a lot of chemicals. Um, so you cannot use a UV light while students are in the room. Um, but we've purchased UV light wands for our teachers and for our maintenance staff. Um, so that they can use the UV light disinfecting when students aren't in the room. Um, teachers could use uh, UV light if their students were at specials or something like that um, because it doesn't have to sit on a surface for, for a very long time. They sell the large ones that you can put in a room for a long time, but the wands um, are a little bit more effective and user-friendly um, in a classroom setting because you can wand over many more things. Um, so that's something that we invested in as well. So I want to talk about the virtual learning experience for you as well. Mm -hmm. And either of you can chime in on this. What platforms are we using? Um, give us an idea of what that looks like for your students. I know that you have students K through eight. And yes. so some of the differences there, how do you keep them engaged? Give us what that plan looks like. Sure. So for our families that chose virtual learning as their, as their education, for the first quarter, they're going to be in a program called Kaola. So Kaola is a virtual learning program um, that partners with your school. So your students are still part of your district. Um, they're still involved in all of your district activities. We're still responsible for their attendance, for their progress monitoring, for their grading. Um, but when it comes to the actual instructional piece, they're taught through the Kaola program through a third party vendor teacher. Um, so this kind of takes the pressure off of our teachers from having to teach in person and virtually. Originally we were going to do synchronous learning where we had um, iPads set up where the teacher was teaching and the students from home were watching. Um, but then we started thinking about privacy laws um, and IDEA and those types of things um, and we decided to go with this program. It's a program that a lot of the school districts in this region um, in the IU5 are using. If uh, R.B. Wiley had to close, whether we had a positive COVID case um, or the governor 
you know, we went to Red or the governor closed schools. Um, the students who are learning in person would learn through Schoology, which is what the Erie School District is using, um, and Teams as well, where our teachers would teach synchronously to students via video, um, just like they would. Um, and our students' laptops that they're getting and their, that our younger ones are getting tablets, their curriculums are fully loaded um, already onto those laptops and tablets, and so they can just jump right in virtually without having to skip a beat. Um, so those are, we have kind of two separate plans, though the plan for the in-person and the plan for the kids that are going virtual. Okay. Ms. Harris, from a communication standpoint, are there things that you want to clear up for the public? Are there things that you want parents and uh, taxpayers, constituents to be mindful of during this time that maybe they weren't aware of, maybe they misheard something, um, anything you want to put out there for general consumption? Um. Similar to Mr. Polito, thank you for the patience, um, and especially to our our parents and our community. We, you know, community is in our name <laughs> for a reason, and we really do have a really strong community. Um, most of the concerns, the parents find someone and express them, and and we're appreciative of that. Um, I'm thankful for the people who who chipped in. Um, to help us be able to pull off all of the things that we had to continually do. Um, and for, for our parents, like when we were considering at the beginning, um, how would we go, what would we do? Um, being able to know and have such a good relationship with our parents already and students, we already knew that the here some days, not some others was, was not an option for us because they talk to us all the time. And um, I am thankful for the trust that we already have between us. And I just, I don't think there were any misconceptions that I know of. And if there were, I'm sure someone would have called me on a Saturday afternoon and already told me that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. Ladies, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, Allison Reynolds and Amy Harris from the Robert Benjamin Wiley Community Charter School and Mr. Brian Polito, the uh, superintendent of Erie's Public Schools. That's all we have time for today. We'd like to thank our guests again for joining us. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, you make the difference. Be sure to listen every fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. at 91.3 FM. I'm Marcus Atkinson for WQLN. I say so long and we will see you next time. <laughs>